have been in such a rush this week, we found it hard, if not impossible, to stop and quiet ourselves in your life-giving presence. And so we thank you for stopping us this morning and speaking to us, even through the words of that last song, that you never let go, that you hold out a rope for us so that we can take hold of it and find our way back to you. Lord, we apologize for neglecting what our soul needed most this week, and that was you, an infusion of your presence and your person. So please quiet us and focus us in the next 30 minutes or so to stop and to focus and to hear your voice and then apply what we have learned to our lives beginning even today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen, amen. We are going to be looking a little bit later on at the uh, part of Daniel chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible with you, you can do that. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow right along in your program notes too and, uh, and follow up on that. This morning I want to start out with just an awkward quote for you. And usually when you're a public speaker, you don't look for awkward quotes. You look for quotes that really, you know, oh, I get that right away. You're not going to get this quote right away until I give you the background of it. We live in a blizzard and few of us have a rope. We live in a blizzard, and few of us have a rope. Do you know that when the blizzards are approaching the farmers in the Midwest, that what they do, and there are whole websites designed to help them get ready for blizzards, and the first thing it says on the website is, when a blizzard is coming, take a rope and tie it to your front door, right close to the doorknob, if not on the doorknob itself, and tie it out to the barn and to the other working buildings that you have. Sometimes they'll tie two or three ropes out there because when the blizzard hits full bore, people who cannot find their way back into the house have died inches away from the threshold of their home, lost in the storm, frozen in the blizzard, not able to reach out and take hold of the doorknob because there was no rope for them. That's the background of that quote this morning. We all are living in times of blizzard, but few of us have a rope. Few of us have a rope. And God's given us some ropes. He's never let go of us, like we sang earlier. You never let go. He's always holding out the rope, but it's up to us if we'll take that rope and tie it off to God and then tie it back to ourselves when we're out in the middle of the blizzard and will we take hold of that rope that leads us back to God? Sort of like this rope that we have up here. That, oh, look at this. There just happens to be a rope up here this morning. Look at that. Look how that worked out. Now, their ropes would be kind of taunt so that they could grab a hold of it in the blizzard. Wherever they were, they just kind of look. They couldn't look for it. They just have to grasp and feel for it. And often in our spiritual lives, it's the same thing. We need to have ropes set up that we can just reach out and grab a hold of that lead us back into the presence of God in our life. Now, for many of us who are here this morning, but not all of us, at some time in our life, we encountered the cross of Jesus Christ. And we decided that we were going to stop paying the payment plan for our own sins let Jesus pay for them, and we're going to let him lead our life. And so we tied a rope off, right, to the cross. And we tied off this rope that 
signifies our connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is in our life, that he paid for our sin, he leads our life. And so when we grab that rope of salvation, that rope of the atoning power of Jesus Christ, we keep grabbing hold of it, and it leads us back to the cross. But today I want to talk to you about two other ropes that God provides for us to help us in the blizzard of life, in the activity of life, when there is a whiteout, which usually happens to most of us just about every day, right? When there is a whiteout, instead of being frozen out of God's presence and not feeling like God is there, that we can take hold of these ropes and get back into the presence of God. God has provided these two ropes. I want to talk about the first one. Your first blank there is God has provided two ropes that lead us back to him. The Sabbath, the Sabbath is a rope that leads us back to God. The Sabbath is a rope that leads us back to God. Now, I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on the Sabbath because we spent a whole month on Sabbath rest in the month of May. And we did a whole series called Catch Your Breath, Discovering the Rhythms of Rest. And we talked about stopping and delighting and and contemplating and being in God's presence. We talked about the four different things that are part of Sabbath, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And we did a whole five-week series on that, which I'm sure made an indelible impression on your mind, and you've never wandered from Sabbath rest since then, right? You'll be like on Wednesday, what did he talk about on Sunday? You know, I forget what I talked about on Sunday. So it's not an indictment of you. We just forget what we've studied. But what I'm saying is we studied that for five weeks so you can go online and listen for free to those and kind of update yourself. If you forgot about that, get on our website. If you don't have the ability to download electronically, you can go into the bookstore and for about $2 just pick up one or two or three of the CDs or the whole packet of CDs and listen to them again about Sabbath rest and why it's so important. I just like this poster. I hung this poster up in my office. We have people who volunteer, volunteers, people who uh, serve in ministry in the church, and they design all our graphics. We don't pay anybody to do that. They design them. And so someone designed this one, Catch Your Breath, Discovering the Rhythms of Rest, and they said, Pastor Joel, what if we did these two chairs on the beach with this chair? I said, well, my wife will like it. She'll enjoy it. So as you look at that, don't you want to go there today? Don't you want to, yeah, man, put some sunblock on me and let me hang out on the beach today. You know, in your soul, you can have that kind of rest for your soul today. You can take a break today. You can stop and you can delight and you can be contemplative today and reflect on what God's doing in your life and what he's speaking about during your week. You can have that kind of rest, even though you can't do that outside today, here, you can have that kind of rest inside of your soul. You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you know that Sabbath rest is the most detailed and longest and gives most detail on how to apply it. The other ones are like, you know, pretty straight up. Don't commit adultery. It doesn't really need more explanation than that, okay? Don't covet your your neighbor's stuff. Doesn't really need a lot more of explanation. But this one, hey, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, and then it goes on. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week to do your ordinary work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock. Your livestock aren't even allowed to work on the Sabbath day. And any foreigners among you, 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he set it apart as holy. God set apart the Sabbath day, and he said, keep it holy. And if you keep it holy, it will keep you holy. The word for holy doesn't just mean removed. Like we, we say, well, God's holy, I'm not holy, right? We usually think that. The word holy also means totally intact and healthy the way God designed it to be. Totally intact and healthy the way God designed it to be. Now think about that. If God's saying, I gave you a day to help you be totally intact and healthy the way I designed you to be, he is saying what Jesus said. Man isn't made for Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made to help man be totally intact and holy and healthy the way I designed him to be. And as a matter of fact, I wanted to make such an indelible impression about this Sabbath rest, this taking a break, this 24-hour period once a week, that I did it myself, and I'm God. And at the end of my creating and working, I sat down and I said, man, that's good. All that work was good, but now it's time for a break. And I'm going to stop. And if the God of the universe can stop, so can you. You can stop. You don't have to just keep going and going and going. The four strands of the Sabbath rope we talked about is stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. The other day, I can't remember what day of the week it was, Caleb and I were coming home from somewhere. And Caleb's our 15-year-old son, soon to be 16. He can't wait to drive big smile on his face over there. He's going to drive me all over the place. Thank you, son. That would be great. My own chauffeur. But we were coming home, and I was doing my normal thing. I was blabbing on about something. And we turned off of 581 onto Creekview Road, and we're headed back toward our house. And he just said, pause. And I thought he meant like pause, like a dog's pause or something. He meant pause. He, in a real nice way, he was too kind to say shut up. He's a very respectful young man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Obviously, his mother did something right. Thank you. And so he said, pause. And so I paused, and I was like, pause? The dog fog, you know? And I looked up, and there was this beautiful sunset happening in front of us. And for the rest of the way in, it wasn't that long of a drive. It may be half of a mile or so into our house. It was just like there was nothing else to say besides that is awesome. And just delighting in that moment. God has moments of delight for you. The Sabbath is not a bummer. When I was growing up in my house, the house that I grew up in, we weren't allowed to do anything, so the Sabbath was a bummer for us. We weren't allowed to play sports that day. We weren't allowed to go down to the store and get a, a soda that day. We weren't allowed to do any of that stuff. And, and the funnest part of the day, the most delightful part of the day, was getting in the family station wagon and driving down to Maitland outside of Lewistown and going to the family farm. Because on the family farm, you could do whatever you wanted. You could go fishing that day. You could go pick apples off the tree that day. You could go get in the creek and catch uh, salamanders, not chameleons, but salamanders that day. You could do all kinds of fun stuff on the farm because we were together as a family. And we found a way to take cow patties and form them into a football. And Okay, might not have been cow patties. I think my brother hid one out in the barn somewhere. But the, the truth is this. We got to stop. And we got to delight. You know, part of the Sabbath is just delighting in God. 
And what he, but if we don't stop, we don't delight, do we? We miss stuff. It flies by like we're in the middle of a blizzard and we can't even see. And then we have to take that time to just be with God. It says in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, that we have to make every effort to enter that rest, that a Sabbath rest still remains for us. Sometimes we think Sabbath rest was just for the Old Testament people of God. No, it's for the New Testament people of God too. There remains then a Sabbath rest. God cares about us. God didn't want Sabbath rest to end. He wants it to continue right on into eternity when he comes back for us and sets up his kingdom. But he says we have to make an effort. It's ironic, isn't it, that we have to make an effort to rest. We have to work at resting, but God knew it would be so distracting, so hard to stop that he would have to tell us, you're going to have to make an effort in order to stop and rest. I love this quote by Wayne Mueller. It says this, if we refuse to rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. You hear that? If we refuse to rest until we're finished, we'll never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. I don't know about you, but I, I need to be finished. As much as I'm not a detail person, I, I just, the reason I keep working on stuff is because I'm not finished. You know, I have a project in the basement. It isn't finished. It bothers me. Every time I walk down to the basement, it bugs me. Not enough to finish it. I go back upstairs. <laughs> but in the back of my mind, sometimes when I'm just sitting there trying to relax on the back deck and reading my Bible, I feel guilty that I'm not what? Working. Any of you, the rest of you suffer from this or is it just me who's schizophrenic or whatever this is? Work is always before you. Sometimes I literally have to leave the house on Monday mornings because from about noon or a little after on Sunday till noon or a little after on Monday, I, I do. In the last six, six months, I'm trying to do this Sabbath thing. You know, I'm baby-stepping. I'm trying to do it. So sometimes on Monday mornings, because the phone's ringing and people are there and all this stuff, I have to leave and go somewhere else where I can't work on projects around the house or I will just keep working. And it's not good. It's not healthy. God says, Joel, if you've got to be finished all the time, you're never going to be done, so you're just going to keep working, and it's not good. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, and that'll keep you holy, Joel, and make you more healthy. So that's the first one I wanted to talk about just for a couple of minutes. And I want to spend the majority of our time on this second rope. And God has provided two ropes that lead us back to him. One is the Sabbath that God tied off for us to lead us back to him. But the second rope that God provides us is one that we can take hold of not just once a week, but daily. And it's called the daily office. The daily office is a rope that leads us back to God. A rope that leads us back to God. Now, what do I mean when I use that term daily office? Usually we have this term like, um, you know, devotions or time out with God or time alone with God or devotion times with God or whatever. And we talk about that. Um, the reason that we're calling this office is that it comes from an ancient word. It comes from a time in the church when the church was very, very busy in the Middle Ages, and a whole group of people left the busyness of the church, and they actually moved into the desert because they were so tired of the blizzard of life. And they formed monasteries, and they came up with this thing that, every, that three times a day, they would stop their work and they would sit down and they would peel into God's presence so that 
they would know God's presence all day long because God's always with us, right? But we don't always acknowledge that or know that or in touch with that. We may be in touch with it intellectually, but sometimes not with the rest of our being in touch with it. And so they started to talk about this, and it comes from a Latin word that they used that at the time meant office. Do you know the original word for office was not used in any secular way? It was always used of a service to God. Office to God meant time allotted to God. And so a daily office means I will take some time and I will allot it to God, not only to do His work, but to let Him do His work really in me. And so when you take time for an office, you're taking time to say, God, come work on me. I need some work. I need your voice. I need some sanding down. I need some tuning up. I need some time with you. And that rope of the daily office ties us back to the presence of the living God in our life when we're in the middle of the blizzard of our life. And uh, so it's about God working in us more than us doing the work of God. And, uh, and um, uh, I remember the first time that I was exposed to people who were observing this pattern intentionally. They were doing it three times a day, and um, I really was quite surprised. I had read about it a little bit, read some books about this, you know, trying this pattern, not just doing your devotional thing once a day. But honestly, in my mind, devotions were, hey, I'm, I'm devoted to God. I want to be with Him. But I would set them apart like early in the morning or in the evening or sometimes at lunchtime. And what would happen to me a lot is probably what happens to you was I would either start my day out great and by lunchtime, you had no idea I was a follower of Jesus by the way I was acting, by the way I was thinking, right? I was just like the rest of the pagans running around. Or, you know, it was an evening. I couldn't wait. Let's get to the Bible because, you know, I'm, I looked like the 7-Eleven commercial guy who's a werewolf until he gets his coffee, you know, that kind of thing. And I found that even though I would do this and it would help me somewhat, it wasn't helping me all day long be in the presence of God. So I was intrigued by it, but I really never saw anybody do it. So I didn't really have any models for it. And so I just kind of, okay, that must be for other people, but not for me. A couple years ago, though, I was speaking at a conference in Ocean City. And uh, I was so glad to be welcomed to Ocean City to do a conference. But it was in October, and it rained every day of the conference. And it was a pastor's conference. And so I was speaking at the conference, but I noticed that they were doing something different from the very first day when we ate breakfast. After we ate breakfast, we'd gather in for a plenary session at the conference center and and uh, one of the first things that they would do was somebody just stood up, and somebody stood up and said, now it's time for our daily office. I didn't really, I was like, oh, that must be that thing I read about. So they'd start, they'd have, and they'd say, we're going to have just a couple moments of silence. And it would go quiet. After a couple moments of silence, the person would read a passage of Scripture. Then they'd read a short devotional thought with a question at the end of it kind of a soul-searching question. Then we would have a, a short prayer, and then another short time of silence. This only took five to seven minutes. So I was like, that was kind of cool. You know, it was neat. So we go along with our day, and I speak at this thing, and another speaker gets up to speak, and we're kind of shifting on and off, and we have lunch. And after lunch, we gather again, and they stand up and say, it's time for the office. I thought we already did that once today. And they go through the same routine again. But I'm finding myself quieted for the afternoon. I find that I'm more engaged in what the speaker was saying. 
We have dinner. Guess what they do again? We gather again. They stand up. It's time for the office. We stop. By the end of those three days, I just wanted to hang with those folks for a while. That felt pretty good. I felt refreshed. I felt connected. And the offices were kind of thematic throughout the day. The scriptures may be somehow tied to each other, the thoughts, the questions. And so I found myself refreshed by taking this time to purposefully peel into God's presence a couple times a day so I could realize that he was permeating my day with his presence. But then I realized later on as I was studying about this, this idea of purposefully maintaining an ongoing connection with God was not something that just somebody else came up with and gave a Latin term. It's something that was done throughout the, the Bible by God's people. As a matter of fact, David did it. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. Prophets did it. The people of God did it. There was a pattern in Jewish culture and still is to this day. And you'll see the wailing wall in Jerusalem where people, what, pattern times a day, go to the wailing wall to pray and to press in to God's presence. So this pattern remains, but we have, as evangelical Christians, lost sight of and hold of this rope, this rope of peeling in to God's presence in punctual times so that his presence we are aware of, is permeating our whole day. David said it this way, I will praise you seven times a day because of all your regulations are just. He, already sa- he said this too, morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Jesus said this in Mark 6, then because so many people were coming and going that he and the disciples didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Do you see the blizzard that's going on? I mean, they're doing the good work of God. People are responding to it. But he says there is so many people coming and going that they couldn't even what? Eat a meal. They couldn't even get something to eat. And that's what happens when we are in constant activity. It leads to the malnutrition of our soul, and we get frozen out in the cold, inches away from the life-giving presence of God. He's right there, but we're not taking a hold of that rope. And God says, take hold of the rope. Jesus says, take hold of the rope. Come away with me. He's still calling us. Come on, this afternoon, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Come on, tomorrow, number of times, morning, noon, evening, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is there to meet with us and help us deal with the blizzard of life that's swirling all around us. I had to think about this question when I was preparing this sermon. Am I starving in the cold because I don't take hold of the rope? Is God's warm presence that close to me, but I just haven't peeled into it? It's right there. I just got to make some effort to enter into his rest. Daniel was a young man in the Old Testament times who took hold of the rope. He learned how to do it pretty young. As a matter of fact, it was probably before he was 20 years old that Daniel ever learned how to take hold of the rope. We don't have any instruction about or, or, or details about his parents teaching him, but probably it was his parents, his Jewish parents, teaching him how to pray three times a day growing up, and he would take hold of that rope. We read about Daniel once he's part of a dislocated people group, right? 
And what we learn about Daniel is a couple things. I want to give you this backstory on Daniel because Daniel lived in blizzard. He lived in a whiteout blizzard, spiritually, culturally, socially. But somehow, in the midst of that, he was strong. He was used by God because he took hold of this rope, this rope of meeting with God and having personal time with him. So I want to tell you just a couple things about this dislocation and this blizzard that Daniel was in the middle. You know, he lived during the time when the nation of Israel was in exile under the Babylonians. That exile isn't a real nice thing. That's a good word for you've been conquered by somebody else and they'll run your life. Okay? When the Babylonians would come in and conquer some people, they would conquer them and they would knock down all of their areas of worship. And so when they came into Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple knocked it down, took all of the things that were in the temple that had any value, and even parts of the temple they would take, blocks, pieces of it, because later on they were going to build that into Babylon to mock you and mock your God. If your God's so great, we took part of his temple and we built it into, you know, uh, the roads in our street. And so what they would do, and, and this is what happened with Daniel, he was one of the youngest and brightest, and so he was exported from Jerusalem and he was taken into the city of Babylon. And so he lived in a time of a great whiteout. He wasn't allowed to be with his culture. He didn't have those same patterns of three times a day prayer. The temple was no longer there. The worship of Yahweh was not allowed to happen publicly at all. And he was living in a blizzard time. But somehow in the midst of that blizzard, Daniel still kept hold of the rope. Daniel was also thrown into a blizzard of people who were involved in pagan worship. Nebuchadnezzar was a great leader and a great builder of cities. And he loved to build opulent cities. And he loved to bring other young leaders that he had exiled from other nations into that city of Babylon especially because Babylon was very attractive to young leaders. It had everything that you could want. Every pleasure was there. The high-rise buildings were there. The river flowed through there. Listen to this quote about Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a patron of the cities and a spectacular builder. He rebuilt all of Babylonia's major cities on a lavish scale. His building activity at Babylon was what turned into the most immense and beautiful city in its time, a city that became a legend. The city of Babylon was covered by more than, covered more than three square miles. It was surrounded by moats and ringed by a double cir circuit of walls. The Euphrates River flowed in the center of the city, and it was spanned by a beautiful, huge, massive stone bridge. And at the center of the city rose a huge, giant, giant ziggurat. And a ziggurat was like a large pyramid with a flat top on it. It didn't have a pointed top. It had a flat top on it. And this place was called the Temple of the House of the Frontier between Heaven and Earth. And so Nebuchadnezzar said... All of your gods that you have been worshiping, I have laid low. Come and worship my God in my temple, at my place, in my city, and it's got it all. You can experience it all here, young leaders. It's all before you. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Doesn't it sound like popular culture? You can have it all. You can do it all. You can be it all. The only thing you need to forfeit is your worship of the true and living God and the rope that leads you in the midst of the blizzard back to him. 
Let go of that rope, they said. Matter of fact, we're going to tear the rope out of your hands. We're going to pull the rope from your hand. Daniel was forced to live among a people group that were exploring all different kinds of unhealthy spiritual practices at the time. It said that he, he lived among the people that were called Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans were masters. They could read and write very well. They were well-written, well-background, and they were especially versed in all forms of sorcery, witchcraft, and magical arts, and they were good at it. They knew how to do it, and they knew how to sell the wares of it. Nowadays, we have the wares of magical, mystical arts. You know, we have dream catchers hanging from places. We have amulets and crystals hanging. That's That's not representing God and his healing power and his vision. But these guys were great at that. They had all kinds of stuff. Come to us, diviners. We'll show you. We'll talk to God for you. You don't know how. You can't have your own rope to God. You have to come to us and pay us, okay, for you to hear God and to follow him, all right? And so there's Daniel living in the midst of that. And Daniel supernaturally gives Daniel a gift of what? Understanding dreams. But Daniel didn't use his spiritual gift for financial gain. He used his spiritual gift to help Nebuchadnezzar see that there was what? A true and living God. And if you read the book of Daniel, you see even King Nebuchadnezzar realizing there's a true and living God. And it's not the God that I built that big house of worship to in the middle of my opulent city. And so here's Daniel living in the middle of this blizzard. And he's a young man. He's being elevated. He's being given raises. He's being moved up the ladder. But he's still holding on to the rope. The rope that his parents had helped him develop as a young boy. The rope that leads him back to God. He's still taking a hold of it. But then the blizzard kind of reaches its height when King Darius comes to be king of Babylon. And King Darius is talked into by his advisors of writing a law that says nobody can worship any other god in any type of manifest way. They can't pray to them. They can't even do it in secret. Right? you got all these dislocated people groups. What are they doing? They're worshiping in secret. You know? Daniel is one of them. So they said, let's make it a law. We're going to nail this guy. We're going to get him. And so Darius is so, you know, enamored with himself. The people come to him and say, let's have them just worship you alone, Darius. And so he writes this decree that only he can be worshiped. And so the blizzard around Daniel is that white out. And that's when we read this. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he what? Knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. And his windows were open toward where? Jerusalem, the city of God, the place where he had worshiped Yahweh. Because Daniel knew If I can't worship him there, I can worship him right here. That the city of God is not just a geographical city. There's a city of God right in here. And I can connect with him right here. But I open my windows toward Jerusalem because those fond memories of worshiping Yahweh there still fill my soul to this day. And I take the rope and I reach out to him in prayer. It says that he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. 
You know, the blizzard that we live in isn't that different from Daniel's blizzard. We live in a postmodern culture where everything seems like it's up for grabs. We live amongst all kinds of dislocated people groups, don't we? All around us, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of worship, all kinds of things, all kinds of beliefs and systems of belief. We live in that same blizzard that he does. And if we don't think we need a rope, we're only fooling ourselves and we're going to freeze to death in the storm, trying to navigate it on our own. God says, I care about you enough that I've given you some ropes. All around us are the exploration of all kinds of unhealthy spiritual practices that sometimes get right into our own hearts and our own lives. We want to toy with them. I don't hear God's voice. Maybe I can hear God's voice for this. Or maybe I can get God to heal me. Or maybe I can get just some relief from this by doing this or that or the other thing. And meanwhile, God says, pick up the rope. I'm right here. I'm right here. Pick up the rope. Grab hold of the rope in the midst of the blizzard and talk to the true and living God and experience his life. We live in a time even where freedom of worship when we go to work and in the marketplace is somewhat limited, isn't it? So some of you might be saying, well, I'd like to pick up the rope, but you know, my boss says no Bibles here, no journals here, no daily offices here. And I understand that. So we live in a time where the blizzard is surrounding us, but that doesn't mean that we can't grab a hold of the rope. I'm going to talk to you just for a few minutes about how we deal with a blizzard. Deal with it by the way Daniel did. Daniel did this. He had these daily offices. Look down at your outline. I put a little quote in there. Daily offices are punctuated times that allow space and time. They allow space and time for me to align my soul with God. So I not only connect with him in that moment, but I also cooperate with him throughout the moments of the rest of my day. It gives me space and time. And there's four strands to this rope, this daily office rope. There's four strands to it. And the four strands are this, stopping, centering, silence, and scripture. That first one, stopping, is so hard for me that I had to set up on my phone, a little stop thing. I make appointments and send them to myself. That's how bad I am at not stopping. I just keep going. And uh, on my phone, I have this little timer on here. You can see the timer on there. And I can set it for as many minutes. So I set it for two minutes, and then I hit it. And I sit in silence. And I start thinking, oh, man. I really should mow the grass before Thursday. <laughs> Stop it, Joel. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. Did I make that bank deposit or did I forget to do that? <laughs> Be still and know that he is God. Be still. It takes some retraining to get silent. But don't give up. Don't quit. Set the alarm and just retrain yourself. Retrain yourself to be still and to know that he is God. And if you didn't get the stuff in the bank in time and you don't get the grass mode, there's a God in heaven. And he's still in control of everything and you're not him and you don't have to be in control and have everything, all your ducks in a row to enjoy life and to delight in God. There is a God, I'm not him. It just reminds me to do that. But I have to stop, I have to intentionally do that. Then I have to center in on Jesus Christ alone. 
And then I have to have times of silence. I have this quote in here about silence. Silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to the voice of God. Most of us fear silence. Studies say that the average person can only bear 15 seconds of silence. I'm testing you right now. It's hard to be silent. Something has to be said. Something has to be done. Some movement needs to be made. No. Be still. Just be still. And know. Be still and know that I am God. And the last one is scripture. See, I couldn't let you be silent for too long, right? I realized when I was reflecting back and putting together this outline that I had seen somebody else do this daily office thing, but they never called it that. It's someone who I'd met years and years ago, someone who I actually grew up with, someone who grew up in a blizzard. They grew up in a blizzard of activity, and their family never went to church growing up. They never had Sabbath rest, and they never had daily office. It wasn't patterned for them at all. They weren't like Daniel. No one raised them up, taking them to the temple. But somewhere along the line, this person figured out that they needed time with God more than once a day. And the reason I know that is because I used to go through his lunchbox at the end of the day. It was my dad. My dad wasn't perfect. He had his flaws, just like you do. But he did have his time alone with God, and he did learn how to take hold of the rope that leads back to God. The way I know that was in the morning I would see him praying if I got up early enough because he was up before everybody else. I'd catch him on his knees down by the couch just finishing his prayers, putting his Bible aside, getting up, getting He didn't make a big deal of it, get up and left. But I knew he spent other time with God because he had this little place in our basement where he would go, his man cave. And his man cave was full of Music, it didn't have a television in it, which always was intriguing to me because my dad liked to watch TV. There was no TV there. There was a Bible, there was a journal, there was all kinds of music. Anything from, my dad was a steel worker who listened to Mozart. Can you believe that? Anything from Mozart to, but I really think he liked because he grew up in West Virginia, bluegrass gospel music, which to this day just turns my Soul, that's it, turns my soul. <laughs> and, uh, but I knew he met with God. How did I know that? Because at the end of the day, he had a metal lunchbox. How many of you remember these metal lunchboxes? Three of you, four of you? Okay, more than that. They had these little hasps on it. And uh, we would give him one every year for a Christmas gift. And I would paint a Steelers emblem on it, even though he wasn't a Steeler fan, but I was. And he was a steel worker. So I figured he needed it on there. But at the end of the day, you would rifle through it. You try, is, there, is there a Twinkie in there that was left behind? Is half of a sandwich? Is there some ham salad that mom made? She put, you know, that she would squirrel away just for him. Uh, you know, what, what was in there? Some gum, a pack of gum maybe, you know. And, and uh, so I would, you know, always go through there. But we always noticed something that was in his box, and it was a little Bible. Every day he took his Bible to work with him. And it was dirty and sooty and you know, after a while, he'd start putting it in a Ziploc bag or a little baggie to try to keep it clean. 
And you know, my dad died close to 20 years ago. And when we went through his stuff as kids and just kind of looked at it, there was one thing that five kids wanted, that Bible. Why? Why? Because with all his flaws, we knew he took Jesus with him to where he worked. How many of you have a Bible in your lunchbox, so to speak? In your glove box? I know some of your places of work won't allow you to have devotions. They can't stop you from going out to your car, taking half of your lunch break, and sitting down and recalibrating. Because you need it. You're in the middle of a blizzard there, aren't you? And you need to take hold of the rope. Be like Daniel. No matter what's going on around, I'm taking hold of this rope and I'm getting back into the presence of God because I was made to be there. And that's how I can really know who I am and who he is and how to live in the midst of the blizzard of life, right? You know, all of us need a rope. All of us need a rope. Even my little dog, Lily, she needs a rope. This is my dog, Lily. Believe me, she needs a rope. She has this really bad habit of when you leave her outside, if you let her outside without a rope, you can see, there's her rope. See it around her neck? And it's a metal rope. But if you leave her outside without that rope on, sooner or later, she does not just run off, she wanders off. Now, I did a little bit of, um, little bit of research on this one day, and I did a little bit of, you know, going out and I thought, what if she actually, because she never seems to, like, when you find her, be afraid that you're going to discipline her. Like, she, you know, we had a dog growing up, and when, as soon as you found him, his name was Choo-Choo, because the, the kid who had him only knew how to say Choo-Choo, so they named the dog Choo-Choo before us. And he would turn on his back and get down like this and squander into the house. You know, I did something wrong. She never does that. She seemingly is not repentant at all. I mean, you know the old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? That's her. She's prone to leave the family that loves her and feeds her and takes care of her. So you let her out, and after a while, if you're watching her, she's just wandering, and pretty soon she's lost. And then once she's lost, she's like, hey, I'm free. I think I'll run. (laughs) She has no idea where she is. She has no idea the danger she's in, so she runs. We live right near Route 581. It's not good for a small dog like that to be running near 581. One day I found her on the other side of 581. She went across Creekview Road, across 581. It's hard to get a car across that bridge on Creekview at 581. There she is on the other side. She was nestled down in that little, there's a trailer park down there next to the creek. And I found her down there just prancing through the neighborhood. I opened the door, literally. She jumped in, wagged her little tail, said, where are we headed? You could beat her senseless. There's nothing up there. There's a big heart in here, but there's no gray matter. And she hopped in the seat. She wagged her tail. I closed the door, and I, I thought to myself, you stupid hound dog. You're not a Yorkshire Terrier. You're a hound dog. You're a dumb hound dog. Someday, somebody's going to mail you back to me in a manila envelope like this because you're going to be that flattened 
by the tractor and trailers on 581. So what do I do with Lily? I supply her with a rope. We tie it to the deck. Lily rarely comes back in on her own. So we walk out. We call her. She stumbles to come up the step with the rope on. I go down and grab it, and I lead her back up and into the house. And as my father-in-law would say, she's as happy as a clam and just comes right into the house. But she needs a rope. You know, we need a rope. We need ropes. God's good to us. He knows we're in the middle of a storm. We are in the middle of a blizzard, right? Amen? And we need a rope. I encourage you today. Take a hold of the two ropes that I've talked about, the Sabbath rest rope, and just start to develop it. Don't make your plan so big that you fail and you quit. No, God, there remains a rest for you. And take a hold of that daily rope, the daily office, one, two, three times a day, maybe even more than that, so that you punctuate your day with God's presence so that you realize his day, his presence has been with me all day long anyhow. And I just need to be more conscious of it. Take a hold of that rope. Let's drop our heads and just talk to God in prayer. Lord, help me to grab hold of the rope in the blizzard today. I desperately need you. This idea of stopping to be with you one or two, three times a day, it seems overwhelming to me. But I need it because I need you. Show me the way. Teach me to be prayerfully attentive to your voice. This idea of Sabbath, Lord, will require a lot of change in the way that I'm living right now. Lead me, Lord, in how to take the steps with this. Help me to trust you with all that remains unfinished. Help me to stop trying to run your world for you. Set me free to begin reorienting my life around you and you alone. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. talking, the telephone's ringing, the lights are all on and the radio's screaming, a million distractions are stealing my heart from you. I'm tired and I'm empty, this life is relentless. It weakens my knees and it breaks my defenses. It's wearing me down and I'm desperate to hear from you. And stop the world, I want to get out. I need an escape away from this crowd just to hear you speak to me 
I need to be still before I make a move. I need to be humble with nothing to prove. And I need your word to show me the truth. And I need time, precious time. Stop the world, I want to get out. I need an escape away from this crowd just to hear you speak to me. Stop the world, I'm ready to listen. Show me a sign, give me a vision from heaven. But I can hold on to Stop the world, I need some time with you this morning that we are not very good at stopping <laughs> and we need to hear you.